welcome to the Hope Dealers Podcast. I am your host, Sean Fitzpatrick, and we are here telling you amazing hope-filled stories from the world of Hope is Alive Ministries. As the media marketing coordinator of Hope is Alive, and uh, as well as a HI alumni, I have had the pleasure of witnessing so many miracles over the last few years, and it is my honor to be here hosting the Hope Dealers Podcast. You know, with over 20 sober living mentoring homes spread across the country, there are always so many miracles and stories taking place in our world. And as Hope Dealers, we love sharing those stories with those who need to hear them the most. You know, whether you're a resident of the Hope is Alive program, maybe you're a family member of one of our residents. Maybe you're a current or future supporter of HIA, or most importantly, if you're the mom or dad of someone struggling with addiction, our hope is that these stories will bring you strength and hope in your journey. All right. Well, here we are. Episode one of the Hope Dealers podcast. Again, my name is Sean Fitzpatrick. I am the media and marketing coordinator here at Hope is Alive. And really, we're going to jump right into this thing. My first guest here today is our senior program manager, Miss Lauren Mustaine. Hi, Lauren. Hi. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, t- why don't you, uh, just for those listening, just kind of tell everyone what your position is at Hope Was Alive, how long you've been here and all that good stuff. Okay. So, um, as Sean mentioned, my name is Lauren Mustaine and I am the women's senior program manager here at Hope Is Alive. And so basically what that means is I oversee our Oklahoma city market. Um, I directly oversee one of the homes there doing one-on-ones and just guiding and leading women on a daily basis. Um, through the program. Um, and I also oversee our North Carolina market who has its own program manager there. And I just kind of help guide and lead her and guide and lead the other program manager here in Oklahoma city. So very busy. Very, yes. Very busy. Yes. And Good busy though. Yeah, absolutely. So how long have you been working for hope is alive? I have been working for hope is alive a little over three years now. I came on in May of 2019. Wow. Okay. And, but you're also an alumni of the program. Yes. Okay. Yes. First and foremost, alumni. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. So you've, uh, you've been through the program. I have been through the program. All right. And, uh, just for those listening, uh, as an HA alumni, that means that Lauren went through the program and, you know, she herself is a, a a person who's in recovery. Mm -hmm. So, um, why don't you just, uh, start at the beginning kind of, when did you uh, first get involved in addiction? You know, how did that start? And, uh, kind of talk about that for a little bit. Yeah. So I, my life early on started out in addiction, although I wasn't using or drinking or using, um, at a very young age, um, both of my parents are addicts. And, um, so I kind of grew up in that environment, but I didn't, you know, as a child, you don't know that that's what you're growing up in. Um, but you know, looking back on it now, like it's evident that that was what I was living in. And so I kind of grew up with that being all that I knew. Um, but the kicker to it is that my grandma adopted me when I was nine. Um, and so I went from having like this really kind of like not sheltered life to having this sheltered life. And, um, my grandma did a really great job. Like she raised me really well. She is the reason why I have the morals and the values and everything that I do. Um, but I, it, it was, it was very much a transition for me. And so, um, I went in, I was very, you know, diligent in school and all those things. Um, and life was good. Um, it it was just definitely an adjustment period. And so when high school hit, that's when things, you know, kind of took a turn. It started out like the normal drinking and you know, the things that they do in a small town. And, um, 
it slowly but surely began to be more. Um, it went from drinking to smoking marijuana to then I discovered um, opiates, you know, on a minor level of like Lord Habs and things. Um, I want to say my memory is a little bit foggy, but I want to say I'd gotten a hairline fracture um, from riding a horse and um, I was prescribed some Lord Habs and then um, found out my boyfriend at the time was taking them. And then it's, that's where it really began. Wow. So really, uh, it was kind of a, like we always talk about, it was the gateway, right? Just started here, went there, went there. Wow. Yep. Very much so. Okay. So after that, um, yeah, so I, by the grace of God, I graduated high school. Um, I went to Votech and, um, achieved my certified nursing assistance license. And so my grandma had always told me like, you need to find a career that is never going to go away. And so nursing is one of those. We're always going to be sick. We're always going to need, you know, the medical team or medical care. And so, um, I knew that I loved helping people. So I went and did that. And, um, you know, the addiction obviously was still there. And then, it slowly but surely started to begin to unravel. Um, I got into some heavier drugs with methamphetamine and um, between the pills and the methamphetamine, it just, I couldn't keep up, you know? Mm -hmm. I, I wasn't going to sleep, I wasn't, or I was going to sleep and missing my, my job. And so um, I got into some pretty heavy trouble at my nursing home, I lost my job, and then um, I kind of just turned to the streets after that, um, that's, I moved in with my mom who was still in her active addiction. And, um, you know, we were more friends than we were mother daughter relationship. And so, um, I kind of just jumped into her lifestyle and, you know, I'm not blaming her by no means. I was an adult. I make my own decisions. Um, but I just immersed myself in, in a different lifestyle. And, um, I, I always say now I'm not very good at what I was doing, obviously. Like I wasn't a very good at being a drug addict and alcoholic. Um, I was good at doing the drugs, but, um, I wasn't good at the lifestyle. And so I got caught with some drugs. Um, I have a couple possession charges. I think I have three felony charges that wow. I, I have today. So, so, you know, for those out there listening, um, you know, you said you have three felony charges. Um, did you ever kind of just get to a point, you know, when you were just in all this kind of trouble where you felt like, well, I've already come this far. It's already this bad. Why would, why would I stop now? Yeah. Um, after I had achieved, I say achieved, it's probably not an achievement. I should call it. Um, <laughs> after I had acquired is probably a better word. Um, all of my felonies, um, there was a point in time right before I got caught, um, for the last time that I, remember laying on the floor of the house that I was living in. And I remember just thinking, um, I don't want to live anymore. Right. Like it seemed, it, it didn't seem at the time that there was a light at the end of the tunnel. Like it just seemed like I've already destroyed my life. So, you know, what, what do I do from here? Right. Um, and I just remember laying on the ground and I think I was probably pleading with God. Um, I'm not sure if I was pleading to God or just pleading with myself at the time. Um, but I said, you know what, if this is it, just end it. And at the time, I think I was saying my life, you yeah. know what I mean? Like I want, I didn't want to be on earth anymore. Um, but God had a different plan and, um, yeah, it, yeah. it's crazy how it unfolded. You know, there's so, for a lot of us who have been uh, in addiction, we always get to that point. And, you know, so often I hear people say, I mean, I know I've said it, uh, that God had a different plan. Mm -hmm. um, and that's one of the things that we just don't really realize is that it's not our plan. Right. You know, 
what we want to do and what we think and all that at the end of the day, that's, that's not really up to us. Right. Um, so he had a different plan. What was that plan? Well, um, I don't know, you know, the time frame for sure. Cause again, memory was very foggy. Right. Um, I think sometimes that I was living on a different planet. Um, but it was, it wasn't long after that, that moment that, um, I was at the same house and we were staying there, but turns out we weren't supposed to be staying there. And, um, <laughs> I was living very much in delusion and I was painting this house and doing all this crazy stuff. And, uh, the neighbors had called the cops on me. And um, the cops showed up and of course I tried to run. And again, I'm not very good at doing the things that I do. And so they caught me. And um, that was kind of the beginning to the end. Um, I, I fought it and you know, I knew that internally I wasn't done, but that I think that was God's way of saying you are done, you know? Right. And, and it didn't stop there. I mean, I went to jail and I sat in Oklahoma County for four months and had a lot of thinking and a lot of things, you know, to think about and what my life was going to do. And I would go back and forth with it. Like, okay, I can change this, but uh, I've dug a pretty deep hole. How am I going to do this? You know? And so I didn't have the tools and the resources, you know, mm -hmm. that was the biggest thing is like, for whatever reason, like, you know, you always hear like, Oh, quitter is rehabs for quitters, you know? And so I had adapted that in my mind. Like I wasn't gonna quit, so to speak. Um, but it was also like, I didn't really know that there was actually rehab, right. you know, as crazy as that sounds. Like I didn't know there was rehab. I didn't, all I knew was gel, gel and doing drugs. And um, this lady came in and talked to me and asked, she said, okay, here's your options. You can go to prison or you can plead into Oklahoma County Drug Court. And all my mind heard at the time was, okay, I can sign these papers and I'll get out of jail or I can go to prison. I didn't hear, you know, you have to go to this program and do it. And so anyways, I, um, I signed those papers and got out and it was, I made it about another month and then that's when I went to rehab. Okay. Yeah. Um, what's something you said there about how you wanted to do it. You just didn't really know how mm -hmm. I think uh, so often a lot of the stories we, uh, we hear, um, is that, well, I wanted to get sober. I wanted to change my life, but I just didn't really know how. Yeah. Um, and it's so crazy how just that chain takes over that, you know, and, and we're just stuck, you yeah. know, like, you know, and kind of how you said, like, I didn't even really know rehab was a thing. You know, you were just, it was either jail or drugs or jail or drugs. Yep. And for those of you listening, if this is something you can relate with, just know you're not alone. Yeah. This is something absolutely that not. where so many of us have been um, in our journeys. So you plead into drug court. And then what leads you to come into Hope Us Alive? Well, another God thing. Um, so I was in, I was in drug court. I, I got out of Oklahoma County and um, tried to cheat the system. I was using and um, thinking, well, if I did less drugs, you know, like if I, if I didn't, cause I got into IV using and um, oh, so, so I wait, thought. So wait, you were in drug court and then you just continued to use. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, I mean, typical addict, right? Yeah, like we're trying to, to, to manipulate the system in any way, shape or form that we can. And so I literally, and I, I believe believed it. You know, I believed that if I wasn't IV using, but I was just doing it a different way that they would work with me, you right. know, but drug court is serious. They don't mess around. There's they, it is, you're going to do the program or you're going to jail. And so, um, I made it about a month. I was showing up to all my drug tests. I, I was showing up, but I was popping hot. And, um, 
I went to court one day for, you know, you go to court each week and as you level up, your court gets less and less. And so I was still going every week and I showed up one week and, um, they, he said, all right, well, you've had this many, um, hot UAs. And so we're going to send you to rehab. And so again, in my mind, I thought it was an option, you know, like I thought, Uh, oh, so I can do this or what is the next option? And the judge said, well, there is no option. You're, you're going to go to rehab. And then he told me I was going to have to go back to Oklahoma County to wait on my bed. And I flopped down on that courtroom floor, like a two-year-old girl and embarrassed myself completely is really what I did. And so that didn't help my case. Cause then I got put on the, um, the 13th floor at Oklahoma County, which is the medical floor. And that was an experience in itself. Um, and so I went to rehab and, um, in Venita, Oklahoma to Rose Rock recovery center. And that place, I think I was still a little bit in some psychosis, but, um, it was, I look back at it now and it was, it was actually really good. And I went in, you know, I went in and things just like seemed bigger and brighter. And for the first time I had hope and I had this super cool counselor, um, that could see things in me that I couldn't see. Um, and somehow she just would like get me to be vulnerable about things that had happened in my past. And so you take this test going into rehab and, um, I scored really, really high, like not high in a good way, like high, like, Hey, I've got some issues. Yeah. And, um, she said, Hey, you know, as I was leaving, I, you take that test again and I still had scored really high and I dealt with a lot at that rehab center. And she said, Hey, I think I've got the place for you. It's called hope is alive. Wow. And we got online, we checked it out and I was scared. I was scared, but I said, yes. Cause I think I knew that that's what I needed. Yeah. I mean, it's so crazy. So often I've heard people talk about how when they first look at hope is alive, they see everything that it comes with and they're really out of options at this point, mm-hmm. which it sounds like you were. Yeah. Um, but they look at everything that they're going to have to do and they're like, well, do I really need to go do this? Um, and the, and those, just those wheels get turning again. Like mm-hmm. maybe I know best, but you made it in. I did make it in. You did make it in. And when was that? That was September 7th of 2017. 2017. So for those of you listening, that was five years ago. Mm-hmm. That is crazy. Mm-hmm. That is so great. I love that. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and hear about the beginning of Lauren's HIA journey and what led her to uh, the position that she's in today. We'll be right back. This episode of the Hope Dealers podcast has been brought to you by Finding Hope Support Groups. Finding Hope is a support group for loved ones of addicts. Through our meetings, you'll find education, inspiration, and a community of other loved ones who have been impacted by addiction. Finding Hope Support Groups currently has 40 meetings across the country. To find out more, visit findinghope.today. At this point, Lauren, you're now, you're in Hope is Alive. You've made it to the home. Mm -hmm. And what is that like, you know, like showing up on that first day? Oh, wow. Um, First day was really scary. Uh, And I think a lot of people probably feel that, you know, like there was like this weird mixture of like, scary and excitement. And I think the only reason why there was like a little bit of excitement was because I really began to trust my counselor and she really hyped this place up. And so, um, I begged and pleaded with my dad the whole way from Vanita to the home to just take me home with you. Like, please take me home, take me home, take me home. And we were showing up at like eight o'clock. Like my intake was really late with the time that I got released from treatment. And so, um, I showed up and I was met with two women and, um, the joy on their faces, I think is what really, really 
kind of eliminated some of that fear. And um, so we sat down, you know, you do this intake process, you're going over the paperwork. And then they said you couldn't date for a year. <laughs> oh man. And uh, that information was not revealed to me um, prior to, I think my counselor might've done that on purpose cause she knew some of my issues. Um, <laughs> but I just like my shoulders sunk, I sighed and I said, okay, let's keep going. And so that was like a minor, that was like a first big surrender for me, even though I didn't really surrender it. But you accepted um, it. But I accepted it, yeah. you know what I mean? Cause I knew, I, I just was trusting in this moment, whether it was God or the people in front of me. Um, I was just trusting moving forward. I knew that this is what I needed to do. And, um, there was just the home first and foremost was beautiful. Like I, I have this video and it's, and I'll probably never get rid of it, but I walk in the next morning and I'm just like showing off the home to probably a family member or something. I can't remember why I took the video and it starts out with like these beautiful staircases in the home. And my thought in that moment was I just have to take it step by step. Yep. And I don't know if that was God in that moment, you know, I don't know it probably was God. Um, and I'll never forget that because I just remember thinking, you just have to take it step by step. And the girls in the home helped me do that. And yeah. I think that's what was super cool about it was because I didn't trust women. I didn't trust myself. I didn't trust anybody. It wasn't even just women. Like I used to blame it on women, you know, but it's like, I didn't trust anybody. And, um, I extended that a little bit more each day and I made friends. And then, you know, my best friend who is still my best friend today came in the program and she was my roommate. And that's what really helped me too. You know, like you just have to find like that one person that's helping you. And that was the game changer for me because I just needed somebody, you know, I needed somebody in my life to help me do that. Yeah. And it, I'm sure you were at a point where, you know, just making a friend in recovery was new, but also just someone who knew what you were going through. Mm -hmm. Cause mm -hmm. we always, you know, that's a, such a big thing for those of us that are in addiction is like, well, you don't get it. No one gets it. Yeah. No one else knows what I'm going through. And it's this crazy realization when you get into the homes and you're like, oh my God, everybody knows mm -hmm. what I'm going through. They get it. You know, it's just like when you're in addiction, like you're all relating and you all hang out and you all stay together because you have one common thing and together you're yeah. doing drugs or you're right. drinking alcohol or whatever it is that is your poison. And so I think that's what made it so beautiful about coming into hope is alive is like, okay, the common denominator changed. Um, and these people were actually trying to be my friends. Like they weren't, I had nothing to offer them. I walked into hope is alive with nothing, a trash bag full of things I had acquired at treatment, <laughs> you know? And so I had nothing to offer these people, but friendship. And so I knew that that was what was the game changer. Cause it was no longer about the amount of drugs or, you know, the belongings or, you know, the things that I had stolen or, you know, any of that kind of stuff. It was about like, it's just me, right. you know, and it's just them. And, um, that's, that's when it really began for me was making those friendships. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I can remember for myself, it was the same thing. I think we, uh, so many of us have shown up with that trash bag. Yeah. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Walking in and just looking around and you're like, well, I don't really have much to give here. I've got a, you know, uh, got a trash bag full of clothes and, mm -hmm. uh, can someone give me a ride please? Mm -hmm. So you're told though, pretty early on in hope was alive, um, that you got to go find a job. Mm, yeah. You got to go find a sponsor mm -hmm. and you got to do all the, got to, got to, got to, got to do all this stuff. Um, what was that process like for you? Was that stressful or was it just kind of like, well, I just got to do it. Mm, 
It was probably a mixture of both. Um, so obviously I hadn't worked in a long time mm. and, um, I, the field of career that I had been in, I could no longer go back to that right. because I'd lost my CNA license. Um, now that I had felonies, I obviously, you know, I just, I couldn't go back to that. That wasn't an option. And so, um, I had to gain some humility and I just had to be like, the financial realm of it was like, okay, this is what you got to pay. This is what you got to do, you know? Um, and so how are you going to do it? And so, you know, I'd been, and on top of that, the biggest stressor for me was I was in drug court, you know? So I've got to be downtown DUA. I've got to be downtown to, um, go to court and do all these other, I've got to go to North care to take these classes. And so I had to find something that was going to work with that. And I also had something to find something that was going to be felony friendly. But again, the cool thing about living in the homes is there's people that have already gone before you right. that have a similar background somewhere, some way, sh some shape and form. And so there was a girl in the home. Um, she was working at Jimmy John's and um, they made sandwiches. Did yeah. not sound appealing to me <laughs> at all. Um, I had worked in fast food before and I hated it. Um but she really hyped it up. You know, she was like, well, it's not really like fast food. Like there's not grease, you know, you can do this, you can do that. And the cool part about it, I didn't have a car. And so it was right down the street from the house. And so the girls did their best at helping me get there. Um, but again, I gained another dose of humility and I got on a bike and I'd get myself there. You know, um, the sponsor thing was a little bit more tricky. Um, I did not like authority. Most of us don't, Sure. you know? And so, um, I think we know best, we know best. Yeah. I, and I had that thought too, you know, it was like, I could walk myself through these 12 steps and really what are these 12 steps? Yeah. You know, uh, like how are these going to change my life? And so, um, I went through a few sponsors and then finally, um, it got suggested to me to work with one of the girls in the home. So I started out there. She got me through the 12 steps. Um, but then I found my actual sponsor and, um, she's still my sponsor today. And I probably should call her more. Um, if she's listening to this, I always say that, but, um, she really, really broke down the steps for me and she really, we met every Monday. Um, we went back through the steps and, um, that was, that was a game changer for me because I, I did a really thorough job that time. She made me real feel really comfortable. Um, and I just let it all out, let that's, it all out. It's just how it goes, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Just got to let it all out. It's so funny uh, just talking about how the sponsor thing and not wanting to, the authority. We always, even when we finally get into, you know, the, the home and the program, um, we still think that we have this secret that no one else knows. Mm. That we can look around at everything and we're like, yeah, but but I know best. Yeah. I, I still got this. Um, so let's fast forward a little bit. Um, you know, you were in the home for how long before you ended up coming on staff? Mm-hmm. Let's see. So I came in in 2017. I came in on May of 2019. So a little under two years. Okay. And, um, what is it that led to this, uh, you know, to working for hope is alive, you know, like what made you think that this was something that you would want to do? Like, what did you feel called or? I did feel called. Um, I can't remember specifically when it was. Um, and so if you go back to, me talking about, you know, like the men were kind of always an issue for me and that kind of thing. And so that was the one thing I hadn't fully surrendered yet. Right. You know, like I said, it, the intake packet is like, oh, they said you can't date for a year. Okay, we'll figure this out. Um, and so that was the one thing that I hadn't fully let go of yet. And, you know, my program manager at the time, and 
been talking to me through it, you know, and I thought nobody knew that I had this, you know, relationship on the side. Um, but I was in between this battle of, you know, I have to let this go. Um, because I want to move further in this program, you know, and at the time my mind frame was just like, I just want to move further in the program. Like I want to do everything I'm supposed to do and succeed in everything I needed to do. Um, but then somewhere in there, it began to shift. And, um, I don't remember exactly what the shift was, but I remember just having the thought, like, I think I want to work here, you know, but we were small at the time. Like there was not very many like staff members, you know, quote unquote. And so really my mind frame was like, I want to be a house manager. Like that seems cool. And, um, at first it was because, you know, like there was certain incentives to it that I was like, well, that'd be cool. You know, that helped me out and you know, that kind of thing. Um, but God was working on me through that, you know, and, um, I'd left the job at Jimmy John's and, um, I went to another job and somebody I'd asked my program manager at the time or my house manager, one of them, I said, Hey, how'd you become a house manager? And she said, I showed up to everything. And I said, yes. Ah, there it is. And I was like, <laughs> Oh, but Jimmy John's was, it was hard, you know, because I, of all the other obligations I had. And so, I, again, through another woman in the program, I found out about this job, um, that was hiring and it was a nine to five job. And I was like, perfect. You know, this will help me with hope is alive. And I got gifted a car in the program. And so I could now get myself to the job and I could now get myself to the events. Hope is alive. Gifted you a car. Yes. Wow. Yes. Well, it was somebody in the program. Okay. It was an alumni of but the program, still. but that's hope is alive, yeah, that's you know, regardless alive. of it. That's yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah, it was a, a very good friend of mine and her husband. Um, he worked at a car dealership and, um, the woman had said, Hey, I want to donate this car. And when she was getting her new one and they picked me. So Look at that. I know. So it sounds like, you know, if I'm hearing you correctly on all this, uh, there was a lot of willingness that started to come out, you know, even Mm -hmm. going back to what you were saying about coming in the home and being in drug court and not having a car Mm -hmm. and not having worked in a while. um, But you made it work. Yeah. And then when you decided you wanted something, you went for it, you know, and like you said, the organization may have been a little smaller back then, but okay, what's the next, next best thing I can do? I'll be a house manager. Yeah. Um, and you changed jobs just to, so you could be more available, um, to the girls and be, be at everything. Mm -hmm. It just sounds like a lot of willingness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I had to change my mind frame because if I was willing to go the extra mile that I did in my drug and alcohol addiction, yes then I had to be willing to go 10 times harder for that in my recovery. Yes. And somebody said that to me early on and I saw it. That sounds crazy, but I think you might be on to something, <laughs> you know, like I always was willing to consider everything everybody said, whether I did it or not, that's a different story. Um, but that one thing stuck with me. And so I remember thinking, okay, you wanted drugs bad. You went and got them. If you want this that bad, you got to get them, go but get you're going to have to go do the things that require you to do it. And yeah. that's what I did. Yeah. And then along the way during that, I'm sure you found out what everyone finds out, which is that even though we're sober and things are going good, the bad days still come, don't they? Yes. Yes. There were still, you know, definitely some bad days, um, you know, and God orchestrated it all too, you know, really, um, because this one guy that I couldn't let go of, um, he went to prison when I was in rehab. And so that was like, God looking out, you know? Um, and then, um, my grandma, we found out she had breast cancer. And so my first year of being in the program was like, you know, my grandma's my rock. Like she raised me. Um, and so 
walking through that was hard, you know? And even though it was very minor, like you hear the C word cancer and you're like, oh my gosh, you know? Yeah. And um, my mom also went to prison at that time. And so I felt a lot of just a lot of different emotions and feelings, you know, cause it was like, here I am getting my life right. But it seems like now everything's falling apart around me yeah. and that was hard, you know, and then there was hard days and hope was alive. You know, I got, I was not your Supreme resident coming in. <laughs> like, I know it sounds good right now, but like when I came in, I balked at a lot of things. I told you, you know, I wouldn't let go of the man and I wouldn't, um, there for a long time. And, um, you know, but then there was the parts of me that was following the rules, you know? So sure. it was like, people could see that I wanted it. Um, and, and that's what was cool about it, you know? And, um, I had a really tough conversation with Allie one time and, uh, she set me down in one of the homes and she said, you're not special. And at the time I Boom. took that really hard, yeah. you know what I mean? But she was right. I'm not special. I'm not an exception to the rules. And if I want to stay sober, I'm going to have to follow the rules. Yeah. And so that was where the willingness started to come in. Yeah. We, we hear it a lot. You know, we are not special. Our way didn't work. Yeah. And you know, something that I heard early on in my stay was, um, you know, I don't remember you getting drafted into here. No one made you come here. No. You know, I think we all, a lot of us, you know, while we're in the homes, you know, we get comfortable, things get rolling and we kind of sit there one day and we forget why we came here in the first place. Yeah. You know, um, well, that's, that's good, Lauren. Um, so you're a house manager. You're mm -hmm. kind of getting that first taste of what it's like to be a leader in the homes. Um, how, what's that like is, you know, now you're the one that a lot of these girls are looking to. Yeah, that was, uh, that was interesting, you know, because, um, up until that point, I mean, I think it's probably fair to say, you know, that I was a follower of a lot of people, you yeah. know, I followed people doing drugs. I like, I really had that chameleon mentality. Um, and you know, with that conversation I mentioned about the sit down with me and Allie, like something in me shifted that day, um, because she saw something in me. Um, and, and that meant a lot to me, you know? And so then when the house manager position came along and I, I got into that and then women started looking up to me, like, that's a really good feeling. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, it's hard. I'm not going to sit here and tell you, you know, like it's, it's easy to do that, but um, that felt good. You know, it felt good to be trusted. It felt good to, um, for women, other women to be looking up to me and it felt good to, um, be given back because that's so important in recovery. Yes. So important. We give back what was given to us. Yes. You know, I remember hearing early on from, uh, somebody that I was, that was kind of mentoring me in the Hope is Live program. And they told me I was sitting there thanking them one day and they said, man, I'm getting just as much from you as you're getting from me. Mm -hmm. And I remember that just at the time blew my mind, could not believe it. Yeah. Um, and that's a pretty crazy feeling, right? When, right. when you kind of realize that you're like, okay, I'm getting a lot out of this, yeah. but so are they. Yeah. And I think that was where like my recovery excelled because not only was I leading these women, like you're saying, but they were helping me. Right. Like that was like you, there's, there is structure and accountability at Hope is Alive. Like that is one thing we know we're going to get, but now it was like, I can't let these women down. You sure. know what I mean? And so I've got to walk the line and I've got to talk the talk, walk the walk and talk the talk. And, um, and that's what I did. And so, you know, whether they, those women knew it at the time or not, what that's, that's what was helping me Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's crazy. You know, um, we look at a lot of the people that have come through the program and all that, and every story has a beginning. Yep. Right. Um, and 
before you know it, when you're, when you're leading somebody, it's, uh, you're, you're finally at a point where you're like, I can, I've been where they are. I've mm-hmm. been where you are. Mm-hmm. Um, so you come on staff or we're kind of jumping forward a little bit, but you come on staff and now it's not just in the homes, you know, now you're, you're on, you're part of the team. You've mm-hmm. got a couple homes, I'm guessing at this point. Yeah. Um, does this all just feel like a whirlwind? Like, yes. Oh my gosh, this yes. is happening. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I came in, you know, I did the, the interview process, super nerve wracking. Um, my sponsor and my house, my, who was my house manager, she later then became my sex and love addiction sponsor and just a really good mentor still to this day in my life. And, um, I remember calling her, you know, and I was driving up to the offices and I was telling her, you know, all these cool things. I was like, you know, I'm driving myself to my first interview, like, and this is like a big girl interview, you know, I'm going in and I remember fixing my lipstick, you know, and, and all the things in the car. And she said, you just walk in there with the confidence that you've gained and you were meant for this. And so I walked in, I did the interview process, walked out crying. And it was just like, you know, thinking of all the ways that I failed the interview instead of like thinking that I did really good. And, um, I can't remember how long it was after that. Um, but Allie called me on the phone and she said, Hey, you got a second to chat. And I said, yeah, absolutely. And I was in the bathroom. Like I would always, you know, go find this like spot when I could for like privacy to talk. And thank God I did that day because, um, she said, well, I just wanted to tell you that, um, we would like to offer you the program manager position. I hope is live. And man, I, I don't know if I've ever screamed that loud, um, to be honest with you. Uh, I was in that bathroom and I screamed as loud as I can. And she was like, but hold on, we're not telling everybody yet. You know, like we got to make it official. We need you to come do the paperwork and all this stuff. And that was probably one of the most grateful days of my life. You know, um, although I had no idea what I was really signing up for, I don't think I needed to, you know, um, God was orchestrating all of this. And so, um, man, it it was, sometimes it feels like it was a dream, you know, like when I look back at it, like it was just so surreal to think like, I'm getting a salary job and I get to like talk to people about drugs and alcohol every day. Yeah. Like I, I'm certified for this, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, going back to like, my passion was always in nursing. So I thought, but really what it was, was my passion was helping people. Sure. And, um, and that's, that's what I get to do every day, you know, and Just what cooler amazing. way to do it than helping people in recovery. Yeah. You know, I don't know if I ever told you this. Uh, I was at the culture night when they announced that you were going to be a program manager. Yeah. I was two months into my program wow. and I remember sitting there and the whole room cheered when they announced Lauren as the new program manager. And I kid you not, the first thing in my head is I said, I want that. Mm. I want, I want that to be me someday. Maybe not for the program manager job. Right. Um, right. As no, come, you never told me that. <laughs> as we've come to find out. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, so that's just a good, another example of, you never really know who's around, yeah. who's watching. Yeah. Um, and not to put the spotlight on that I was watching, but <laughs> just uh, for those of you listening, if you're in the program, um, if you're in a leadership position, just know there's always somebody around, you know, your story is your secret weapon. And yes. that is uh, what this podcast is all about. You know, we want to be able to tell stories and hopefully those of you out there listening, you know, you can take this with you and uh, it can give you hope in your journey, whatever that journey may be. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Lauren, before we wrap up, tell me a little bit or tell our listeners rather a little bit about what life is like today. 
Wow. Um, yeah, life is just good today. You know, it's always, I, I can feel emotions creeping up because it's, it's still surreal, you know, some days, like when people ask you like, how is life today? And I think for a lot of drug addicts and alcoholics, like when people, at least for me, maybe it doesn't happen to everybody, but at least for me, like when people ask me that, like my first thought is like this mental image of that day of desperation I told you about, yeah. you know what I mean? And it's like, you go back and you compare it to that day right. and what life is today. Um, and I've never felt that moment again, you yeah. know, which one is super cool. Um, but life today is good. You know, I've got a little over five years of sobriety, um, yes. which is still mind blowing, you know, sometimes. Yes. Um, and I went from, you know, I went from living in sobriety to living in recovery and that's, that's super cool. So um, good. I still have my dog and, um, I have two dogs now. And so they are like the joys of my life. And, um, then the biggest joy of my life is my husband. So, you know, the cool thing about recovery is everything gets restored and I believe it gets restored times 10 if you keep doing it. And so, um, so hold on for just a sec for the, for those of you listening, if you're a resident of our program and you just heard that, so Lauren, really struggled in the beginning, not being able to be in a relationship. She's five years sober today, over five years sober, mm -hmm. and she's married. Yes. <laughs> so. Yeah. And, and honestly, and that wouldn't have happened if I wouldn't have surrendered to the sex and love addiction program. Yes. You know what I mean? Because I wouldn't have found the man that I found today. Um, he's healthy. He's godly. He's um, who God intended for me to be with. And, um, you know, I met my husband 10 years ago and we were two totally different people and both of us made a change in our lives. And, God brought us back together in a real wild and crazy way. Wow. And um, so we're coming up on our one year anniversary, which is just crazy in itself too. And yes. we just bought our first home and um, life today is, is amazing. And, and that word really doesn't sum it up, but it's just like, what word do you pick? Right. You know, um, anything good that describes good, um, spectacular, amazing, uh, gratitude, you know, like any of it is that's life today. Yeah. Not to get confused that life isn't hard, sure. you know, like I still have my bad days and I still have emotional, you know, anxiety and all these different things, but, um, I have tools today, you know? Yeah. And so now that's what makes it good. It. Yeah. Yeah. That is so good. And, and you get to take fun trips to North Carolina. Yeah. With people like me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. North Carolina is awesome. You know, and that's, that's the other crazy thing is like, I'd never been on a plane before, you know, but Oh, I, I, I get forgot to do about that. that. You hadn't been on a plane yet. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I remember I was kind of freaking out. So <laughs> yeah, I get to travel to North Carolina yeah. and go see Heidi and all the girls in North Carolina and, um, yeah, get to just do things in life that, um, I never would do, you know, if I, I, I would be one of the statistics today. Yes. If, if I wasn't sober, um, I would probably be the one that was no longer taking a breath. And, and that's what fuels me to keep going because I know that, yeah. you know, this is life or death for me. Um, and even though recovery isn't always easy, it's worth it. And, um, that's where I have to remind myself. Absolutely. It's funny. I remember I was watching, um, I was watching TV the other day. Um, and there was a, it was a gangster show and one of the characters on there was saying like, yeah, well, there's only two ways, you know, to end up for a guy like me, either dead or in jail. And I was like, wow, that's pretty much the life of a, of an addict. Right. You right. Know, that's, that's how we kind of feel. Um, yeah. it doesn't have to be that way for those of you listening. It does not have to be that way. No, so no, not at all. Well, Lauren, thank you so much for chatting with us on episode one of the Hope Dealers podcast. If you're listening, be sure to like and subscribe, give us a five-star review, share this with those who need to hear it. 
And we will see you again next time. Again, this is the Hope Dealers Podcast. Thank you, Sean. A new place, a new home for a while. Let me feel alive. Nothing to hold me back. Take my time. Just enjoy the ride. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Hope Dealers Podcast. If you or someone you know needs to get in touch with Hope is Alive, or maybe you just want some more information, please visit hopeisalive.net or call 1-844-3-HOPE-NOW. That's 1-844-3-HOPE-NOW. Oh, I feel, I feel, I feel, I feel so good.